There's a kind of heavy stillness that settles on a place after a great storm has passed through. Although the wind and the rain have ended and the leaves have stopped their rustling, all around there are signs of the stress and the strain and the turmoil of that storm that has changed the landscape with its violence. There are the broken limbs. There's the debris all over the ground. Everywhere there is evidence of the storm's disruptive power, even after it has long since moved on. If you've lived in this part of the world for any amount of time, then you know that there is a stillness after a storm, but it's a heavy stillness. It's the kind of stillness that tells its own tale. And it's just this sort of heavy peace that has settled over the stable there as Mary, fighting against exhaustion to stay awake, cradles a newborn child in her arms. The air is heavy with the anguish of the night's labor, which has mercifully come to an end. Anyone who might have happened on the scene would see the signs of that storm that had passed through the night before. You could see it in the eyes of Joseph. Now, to be sure, on his face there's a sense of great relief, but his eyes tell another story. They are weary from days of worrying over this young woman who has come under his care. You can also see it in Joseph's posture. The weight of responsibility that presses down on his shoulders, even as he gives Mary a reassuring smile. The strain of last night's storm, it's evident in Mary as well. You can see it in the sweat on her brow as she cradles her son in her arms. And as you linger there, taking in the scene of that heavy stillness, you hear the little infant cry out every time he's startled by the unexpected braying of a donkey or bleeding of a lamb. All these things are telltale signs of the storm that passed through that stable the night before. As you stand a bit longer, you become conscious of all the smells that you draw in every time you take a breath, the straw, the sweat, the animals. And you're struck by just how out of place this family seems among all those creatures with no furniture or fireplace or friends. It's all just a little bit pitiful. You might even begin to wonder about this man Joseph and his inability to provide suitable lodging for his young bride and her newborn child. And yet, there is a peace about the place, a heavy peace, the kind of peace that settles on a place after a storm has passed through. But friends, unlike the casual observer, you and I, we know the backstory. We know that this storm has been brewing for months. Mary was the first to see the thunderclouds forming off on the horizon when the angel showed up nine months prior to announce that she was going to conceive even though she wasn't married. And while those thunderclouds seemed terribly ominous off in the distance, Mary was able to take comfort in the fact that Joseph was willing to take her in and to cover her with the shelter of his protection which was no small thing for either of them. But the first real flash of lightning, you know when a strike of lightning comes and it sends a shiver down your spine, well that came when Joseph heard the news which had been spreading like wildfire through the little village of Nazareth. 
Caesar Augustus had decreed that all the world should be registered. And that meant that Mary and Joseph were going to have to make the grueling four-day, 90-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, there's always a danger in trying to re reduce the world into two kinds of people. But if we can ignore that danger for just a moment and say that there are two kinds of people in this world, there are the powerful who get to call the tune, and then there are the common folk who have to dance to it. Well, Mary and Joseph, they're the latter. Mary and Joseph are at the bottom of the heap. Mary and Joseph, they don't get to make the rules. They don't get to chart their own course. They're the little people. They're the nobodies. So if Caesar gets it in his mind that there's going to be a census, well, then there's going to be a census. It's not up for a vote. Caesar does not care what it will cost these two nobodies to have to leave their home and their livelihood all while Mary was near the time of giving birth. We can well imagine that Joseph was just hoping, hoping that this storm would, would maybe dissipate before it came over them. You know how it is. You're facing something you don't want to face, and you're just hoping maybe it'll go away. That term paper at the end of the semester, that difficult conversation you don't want to have, maybe it'll just disappear. But this storm doesn't disappear. And somewhere between hearing the news about this census and the four-day, 90-mile journey to Bethlehem, the second bolt of lightning strikes when it occurs to Mary that she's about to face the birth of her newborn child all alone. Now, true, Joseph would be with her. But I ask you, since when was a first-century Palestinian man anything but a royal nuisance at the birth of a child? So again, as they drew nearer for their journey, it would not be lost on Mary that there'd be no older woman there to grasp her hand and to tell her, Mary, it's going to be all right. No mother, no midwife, no big sister to say, everything's okay, Mary, you're doing great. Now, for this approaching storm, Mary would have only the presence of her God. She'd have the distant memory of the angel Gabriel and his prophecy from nine months prior. And Joseph, who, God bless him, don't know nothing about birth and no babies. Sisters, can you imagine Mary's apprehension? Brothers, put yourself into Joseph's shoes. Given how everything has unfolded, there would have been no celebrating with his friends when Joseph got engaged to Mary. There would have been no engagement parties, no feasting with his family. No, as soon as Joseph decided to take Mary to be his wife, despite the fact that she was already with child, for Mary and Joseph, this would have only meant rumors and whispers all around town. Which means that as they face this journey, as they set out toward the thunderclouds that are building over Bethlehem, both Mary and Joseph, they're surrounded by their own cloud. It's a cloud of loneliness and isolation. Nine months. For nine months, they've known that this storm was coming. 
Nine months for the grinding anxiety of that coming storm to do its work in them, wearing them down to the point of emotional exhaustion. Can you imagine it? But they have survived. The storm has passed. And Mary sits there clasping her newborn son in her arms, torn between her exhaustion and her desire just to get a little bit of sleep, but not wanting to miss a moment of looking into his little face. Friends, what about this little child in her arms? This child whose birth we've come out here to celebrate tonight, what about him? We've all become so accustomed to this story that's told. We've become so accustomed to the carols and the readings from Scripture that, that it's easy to forget just how strange and mind-bogglingly shocking this story is. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. What are we celebrating tonight? That God was born as a human child. Now, if you want to recapture in your heart just how shocking a thing this is, then I challenge you to take just a moment, a moment to put yourself into the shoes of a Jewish or Islamic believer. Just put yourself into their shoes for a moment. If this little human child is not God from God, Light from light, very God from very God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. If that's not who this child is, then the Jews and the Muslims are exactly right to reject the Christian faith. In their defense, they actually take the claims of Christmas seriously. If this little child is not Emmanuel, if he is not God with us, they are right to press questions on us. If this little baby is not Emmanuel, then why on earth did he, as a grown man, allow his disciples to fall down on their faces and worship him? For to do so is idolatry if he's not Emmanuel. And why would his apostle Paul claim in writing that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? That is, if you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. To say such a thing about this little infant in Mary's arms, that would be blasphemy if he's not Emmanuel. So friends, just put yourself into their shoes and look at Christmas from their point of view. If you'll do just that, then you'll get back in touch with just how extraordinary it is. If Jesus is actually who the angels proclaimed he was, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, well, then that means that God has come to earth to be born of a helpless infant to a couple of Jewish peasants who are at the very bottom of the heap. Friends, if you will let that truth settle down into your heart and your mind, that it won't take you long to realize just how shocking it is that God would come to us in this way. In fact, if you think about it, what God did was somewhere between ridiculous, risky, and reckless. Putting himself into such a lowly and vulnerable position. An infant 
born to peasants. Why? Why would God do such a reckless thing? Well, God has made a creature, a creature that I think will help us to understand why he was born to us as a little child. That creature's a bird. It's the magpie. The magpie is one of the smartest birds known to man. The magpie's ability to create and use tools, his ability to mimic human speech, his ability to work together in teams, it is almost unparalleled in all the animal kingdom. But like all wild things, the magpie is suspicious. He's wary of human beings. If you show up, the magpie is going to fly away. Now, we don't have magpies here in the east, but you can find them out west in places like Colorado and other parts of the world. And here's the thing. People have learned how to tame the magpie. Because magpies have two other qualities that will allow you to overcome his suspicion and his reluctance to let you come near. You see, in addition to being extremely clever and deeply suspicious, the magpie is also very curious. And like all wild things, he's hungry. Now, I suppose if you wanted to tame a magpie, you could snare him in a net, you could throw him in a cage, and you could hold him hostage and teach him how to mimic your words. If you did that, he might well fear you, but he'll never trust you. But if, on the other hand, you go out to where the magpie lives and you show up day by day and gently and consistently you hold out your hand with food in it, eventually he'll come to trust you Eventually, that magpie will begin to eat out of your hand. Why did God come to earth in the form of a helpless baby born into a peasant family? Friends, he came to us in this way, gently, quietly, tenderly, that he might hold out his hand to you. Because like the magpie, we are clever, suspicious, and wary creatures. When God comes near, there's a part of us sometimes that just wants to fly away. But we are also curious. And we're hungry. And so he has come to us in all gentleness, and he stretches out his hand to us through his Son to overcome our suspicion so that we might learn to, to trust him and be fed by him. Friends, I don't know what brought you here tonight. Perhaps you've come because you have already experienced what it's like to be fed by God's gently outstretched hand. But maybe you came here tonight because someone asked you to, and you simply wanted to honor their request. And if that's the case, God bless you, truly. But what I want you to understand is that the God and Father of all things is holding out his hand to you tonight. That you might put aside your suspicion. 
that you might resist that part of you that wants to flee, and that you might draw close to him to see what he has for you in his outstretched hand. What about you? We're all like the magpie. The question is, how are you responding to God's outstretched hand? In a moment, we're going to go to the table. Friends, if you realize tonight that you've been keeping your distance like a wary magpie, then I'd encourage you to pray something like this in your heart as you reach out to take that bread. Heavenly Father, I want to learn how to trust you. Heavenly Father, I want to learn how to be fed by you. Friends, if you're bold enough, if you're crazy enough to pray a prayer like that, I promise you will not be disappointed. We've come here tonight to celebrate the moment when God was born into the world as a little child. Friends, may you draw close to your Father, whose hand is outstretched to you tonight. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us.